I'm Kayla, and my husband Caleb and I are on staff here as the Next Steps pastors. And y'all, this is home. Like, we've been here for almost two years, Christina. Two, almost two years. That's nuts. Um, we're both from the East Coast, and so God brought us here. And yeah, uh, I never knew I was a West Coast girl till I moved here. Hey! Um, okay, so there's that. Guys, I'm super excited for today um, for two reasons. Number one, because I'm just like, we're in the house of the Lord. God's going to do something. That's always exciting. Yes, right there. She's with me. And then the other reason is that God actually told me something to share. But he did keep me on the edge of my seat. Like, it was almost going to be crickets up here today. <laughs> so Julian asked me like three weeks ago uh, to preach today because he's out of town. And I was like, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. So then I talked to God. I'm like, what you got? Like, but what do you got? And it was just like, nada, nothing. Like, do you ever have like that moment where you're like, I'm going to like hear from God today. And like, I'm going to create a spiritual atmosphere, put on my worship music and just really listen and like hear from God. And then it's just like nothing, like crickets and you look awkward. <laughs> now you just look like you did all this for nothing. So that's basically what I experienced for the past three weeks. Um, I looked awkward for you guys on your behalf. Um, you're welcome. And then about 24 hours ago, God was like, here you go. And I was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so I'm excited about that as well. Um, and here we go. Today we're going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite stories, and I've actually never had an opportunity to share on this specific story. Uh, and this is about a guy that you may or may not have heard of. Um, most likely not. He's kind of one of those underrated stories in scripture that you're like, who is that? But after today, we're going to know who that is. My guy, Mephibosheth. Can you guys say Mephibosheth? Have you ever heard anybody say, yeah, my guy, Mephibosheth? Like, that's not a statement that you hear people make, right? Because, number one, I don't have a son. But if I did have a son and, and I was looking at him and, and trying to figure out what his name would be, I can tell you it would not be Mephibosheth. <laughs> like, I was desperately trying to figure out, like, a nickname for today just so I wouldn't have to say the whole thing. But trust me, like, nothing works. <laughs> like, it all just sounds like, mm, I don't know if you should say that. So... We're just going to go with the whole name, and if I get tongue-tied, um, cover me in grace. It's going to be great, and we're just going to dive right in. Uh, but before we do, let's pray and talk to God. God, we love you so much, and we come here grateful. We come here ready to receive, and uh, we're just really, really happy that you've got something to say, and we want to know what that is. Uh, for the person in this room that came into this space tired, I pray that you would just fill them with energy to receive what you have for them today. For the person who came into this space kind of guarded and some walls up, let them know that that's okay and that you can tear anything down and that you see them today, you hear them, and you're happy that they're here. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get into this story with my guy, Mephibosheth. So it starts out in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and we just get a very short snippet of the beginning of his life. Okay, 2 Samuel 4, 4, and it reads this. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. 
He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, she fell, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, so here's how our guy, here's how his life starts out. It's honestly not too good, guys. Um, This is a depressing start to a message, so just bear with me, okay? But we have to start at the beginning, okay? He's five years old, Mephibosheth. His grandpa was Saul, who was king, and his dad is Jonathan, the king's son. Are you following? So King Saul and Jonathan go off to war because God is raising up David as the new king, and there's a lot of battles that are fleshing out and King Saul is still fighting for his place, even though God's doing a new thing. That'll preach. Um, And so Saul and Jonathan end up dying in battle. And customary, what would happen is when an old bloodline or a, a king in his bloodline, when that king would die, the rest of his bloodline would be eradicated so that there was no threat to the new throne, to the new bloodline. Mephibosheth was part of that threat. He was part of that bloodline that after Saul, his grandpa, and Jonathan, his dad, had died, now it was, okay, find anybody in Saul's bloodline that we have to kill so that they don't try to take over the throne from David. You following? So this happens when he's five years old. His grandpa dies. His dad dies. He is stripped of his royal inheritance of his home, of his lands, of of his whole family, and his nurse tries to escape with him to save his life, he ends up tripping and falling and becoming crippled in both legs, lame in both legs. Now he can't walk. This is a really fun start to the story, isn't it? We're like, yeah, this is great. What, What a day that his whole life changed just in that day. And so this is where our story picks up. There's a lot of things that we can learn from the life of Mephibosheth. And one of those things is that God sees you. God sees you and you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. He's five years old and all of this happens to him. Have you ever been in a season in life where it just feels like one thing after the next and you're just like hey if we could take a break God like I'll just take a three-week vacation from this craziness that would be nice and God's like hey no we've all been through those seasons and you know what really stinks about it is sometimes when we're going through these seasons we don't even want to tell people about it because when it feels like it's one thing after the next and you tell people about it then somehow it feels like you're burdening them So now you're just going to keep everything to yourself. The enemy's job, it's very simple, y'all. And by the way, the enemy is not smart at all, but he just runs the same plays over and over and over. But the enemy's job is to do whatever he can in your life for you to start to believe something other than, believe something about God other than the truth. That's, that's literally the baseline job of the enemy. If he can get you to believe something about God that is not true, then he will destroy all the foundations you have with God and the relationship. And so here's Mephibosheth's life. 
And the lie that the enemy is planting in his life is God has forgotten you. You are not seen. Everything has been stripped from you. You are a nobody. Do you know that the place that the nurse escaped with him to, it's called Lodabar, which literally means no pasture, no thing, no place. He literally escaped to nowhere. Have you ever felt like that? Where you're like, yo, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm at in life right now. Like, I feel like I'm just in the middle of nowhere. And we all want to be seen, right? I know y'all want to be seen because you be showing up here on Sundays looking good. And like, you got people in here like, oh, I'm going to pull out these new J's that dropped this past week. See if somebody sees my swag today. Christina knows, like, she, she loves shoes. I love shoes. We want to be seen, right? God sees you. It's a very simple truth for us to just know today that God sees you. And I don't know like what season you're in and what's been stripped from you. You might be sitting here and you're like, you don't understand. Like I've been stripped of everything. My marriage has fallen apart. My child just got a diagnosis. I can't find a job. My car won't start. All of my friendships are changing because now I'm trying to live like Jesus would have me. And it feels like, oh, now that I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all my friends are just going to bail and my whole life is going to look different. This isn't what I signed up for. And you start to feel like God doesn't see me. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. But you are seen and you are not forgotten. I remember a specific time in my life where my family was going through one of those seasons, you know. And I think it's funny because when you're talking to somebody and you even say it like that, you know, one of those seasons, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been there. I've been there, girl. Like, I don't know. You know, it's like we all know what that is. Uh, Back in 2006, I've shared this briefly, um, but back in 2006, my mom, she went in for brain surgery because she was having strokes and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then they figured out there was some things wrong with her arteries. And so she went in for brain surgery and they were trying to replace some arteries in her neck. It was unsuccessful. And so they sewed her up, sent her home, and it was kind of like, we'll see what happens type thing. Um, New territory medically. And then right when she gets home, I started having seizures. And we were trying to plant a church at the time. My family was church planting, which in itself is like, do you see us, God? Like, (laughs) and so uh, all of this is hitting and I'm a senior in high school and I'm having these seizures and they weren't just uh, smaller seizures, there's all different kinds, but normally a seizure shouldn't go past five minutes or it can be permanent brain damage. And my were going way past five minutes, 10 minutes. And um, they'd got me on medication. It wasn't working. I was still having breakthrough seizures. We we're trying to figure out what's going on. And, um, and then all the while my mom is still healing and we're trying to figure out like what's going on in that situation. And so in January of 2007, I had a seizure that was so bad, I woke up and I was paralyzed. Um, And again, we were just like, my family, (laughs) our response was like, oh yeah, you'll you'll work through it. Like, you know, just give it a couple days, it'll wear off, you know? Like we were just like, oh, it's gonna be fine, it'll wear off. Um, The paralysis will wear off, you know? And so uh, it didn't, and we were like, okay, what's going on? So 
There was one night I woke up and I got the flu on top of it. I'm telling y'all, just one thing after the next. And so my parents wake up to the sound of me trying to turn over so I can throw up and then going into a seizure and back and forth, back and forth. And then they rushed me to the hospital. Again, we were church planning in the middle of nowhere, so the hospital was an hour away. And the whole way to the hospital, I'm having seizures and throwing up the whole way there. So when we get there, mind you, my mom's scar on her neck hasn't even healed yet from brain surgery that was unsuccessful. So we get to the hospital, and my seizures are still back to back to back, and they can't stop it. So they put me into a medically induced coma to stop the seizures. And once they did that, my whole body started shutting down. And so they put me on life support, feeding tubes, the works, uh, just to keep me alive. And they saw, like, there's no brain activity. What's going on? They ran some tests and found that not only was my epilepsy spiraling out of control, but I had had something called Guillain-Barre. And it's where your nervous system attacks your immune system. And so both of those systems in my body were, were done. And my body was just shutting down. So they told, the doctors told my parents, hey, listen, there's nothing else that we can do for her at this point. Um, and so you guys just need to decide, like, if you want to pull the plug or what's going to happen with that. It's really easy to feel in these situations, God, do you, do you see this? Because I feel like if you saw this, you would do something about it. And I just don't understand why this is happening. If you're feeling that way today, I just want you to know it's okay to feel that way. That God can handle any feeling, any emotion, any thought, any bit of anger, any bit of bitterness, he can handle all of it. He just wants it because it's a part of you. So we had, you know, me and God had some conversations, you know, in that season, leading up to the point where I wasn't able to conversate. <laughs> and, um, but my family through that whole season, we knew that God saw us but it was just like, it was just head knowledge. You ever feel that way where it's just like, this is just head knowledge right now. Um, but I need something to happen in my spirit. And so I'm excited. Let's just get to the fun part of Mephibosheth's story, right? Let's, so we find ourselves, we know that God sees us. God's not forgotten. But what else can we learn from his story? Moving on uh, to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 through 5. This is where we pick up with his story. Now listen, he's been hiding in nowhere, Lodabar. Uh, most scholars believe 20 to 25 years that he's in hiding before something changes in his life. That's a long season. 20 to 25 years. And here's where we pick up. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 5, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Emil in Lodabar. He's, in, he's nowhere. He's in the middle of nowhere. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. Y'all, let me explain what is happening here. The very king, King David, who had every right to eradicate Mephibosheth because he was a part of the previous king's bloodline, because he was best friends with Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan, and had a covenant with Jonathan, He's saying, is there anybody left in the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? The second thing that we can learn from Mephibosheth's life is that God can use it. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, whatever your experiences, whatever your losses, whatever your pain, whatever your tragedy, God can use it. Get this, y'all. Yes, you can, yes. But get this, the very bloodline that was supposed to be the demise of Mephibosheth became the bloodline that would restore everything he had lost. God is in the habit of using whatever we have in our life, whatever's going on in our life, he will use it for our good. Y'all, can I tell you, my mama can cook. Like, it ain't even fair, you know? And, uh, and I love to cook as well, but my mom growing up, it was just like she could throw down in the kitchen. And we were always on a tight budget, and so I knew it was like, okay, we go grocery shopping, and everybody in the household knew, like, this is what we have until the next time groceries arrive at the house. So if you want to eat all the treats in the first two days you best believe like the last 12, you ain't going to have it, you know, uh, ration, ration it out. But my mom had this superpower that at the end of the two weeks where it was like, we're in between grocery runs. Everybody know that kind of spot right there where it's like, uh, uh, or, you know, you just don't even want to go grocery shopping yet. Cause you're just, it's a lot of work. My mom could go in the pantry and look at whatever we had in the pantry and she would make the most amazing meal out of it. Even if it was stuff that we we're like, mom, there's no way you can do something with those ingredients. Like, what are you doing? And she would always make soup. Like, it was always some sort of soup. And we'd just be like, mom, what kind of soup is this? She'd be like, it's good. That's what it is. Eat up. Eat up. And we did, like, double portion, you know? Like, if my mom makes you empty pantry soup, you want a double portion because you ain't ever gonna taste that again. We ain't gonna, we are not gonna be able to replicate that. And so, I mean, I don't wanna brag, but I will, I will. Um, I've adopted my, my mom's superpowers. I just made an amazing soup this past week and I was patting myself on the back at every bite and I was just like, wow, won't he do it, you know, or won't she do it, might I say. And so we were eating this empty pantry soup and I was just like, I'm at that place that I, you know, I hope my, mom, my girls speak about my cooking like this someday, you know. But you know who else has this superpower? God. God has this superpower where he can take whatever you have in that life of yours that feels empty. Whatever you have in that heart of yours that feels like this is stale. Oh, God's like, oh, I can make something really, really good out of that. He specializes in it. 
And we can see from scripture that he's done it time and time and time again. As I was preparing this message, reading over it last night, the song came into my mind, and we did not work this out, Brandon and I, but the song was playing in my mind, I'll see you do it again. You've done it before, you'll do it again. If you're feeling unseen right now, that season is going to be over, and it will probably come again. But what you learn from each season is that God will do whatever he did before, he'll do it again. Can we just look at scripture for a second and see what God has done that we know he'll do it again? He can use anything. I'm telling y'all. Genesis 50, 20 says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but your intentions are void, enemy. There is nothing you can do to me because I'm seen, I'm not forgotten, and God can use it. You know the river that was meant to destroy Moses? The river that he was supposed to be tossed into and eaten up is the very river that saved his life and floated him to Pharaoh's house. Do you know that the Red Sea that was meant to swallow the Israelites was used to swallow up their enemy? Do you know that the flames that Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego endured that were supposed to show them that God is not there with them, God used those very flames to display his protection over their life? Do you know that Daniel and the lion's den, the very lions that were supposed to gobble him up, as my little girl's Bible says, were used to gobble up his enemies and to display that God is the one true God. God will use it. Do you know that the slavery that Joseph was sold into by his very own brothers, talk about a season, talk about sitting in a pit feeling like, God, do you see me down here? I'm about to be sold into slavery. And God says, hold on, I'm using this to elevate you to high leadership. God can use anything, church. This one blows my mind. Jesus is on a cross and he's got two people beside him. And one of these men recognizes in that moment, this is the Messiah. This is God's son. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. A moment that was supposed to take this man's life was the same moment that God used to give him eternal life. God can use anything, church. God can use anything, church. Any moment of despair, you're hanging on a cross and think this is it, this is it. No, this is just the beginning. God can use anything. Do you know there's a reason that God became flesh and dwelt among us? There's a reason that Jesus was fully God and fully man and died on a cross to save us from ourselves. Because flesh is what ushered sin into this world and flesh is what had to take care of it and redeem us. God can 
use it. Whatever you're walking through, God can use it. There's a dad in this place. You're about to be a new dad. And you are scared out of your mind because you're excited, but you didn't have a dad growing up and you think, how in the world am I supposed to do this? How in the world am I supposed to be for this child what I never had in my life? And the enemy is tripping you up right now because you are so focused on everything you didn't have and you don't realize that God's gonna use what you didn't have to form you as the father that he's called you to be. God's going to use it. My husband, y'all know I got like the biggest crush on that guy. He's the best dad in the world. Stop looking all cute and stuff. And don't shake your head at me. He didn't have a dad growing up. He was raised by Gigi. Gigi walks on water, y'all. She's one of those that literally walks on water. Not on ground, on water. And when there's no water around, she levitates. <laughs> she retired from two jobs to, say, to uh, raise him and provide for him. And he didn't have that example growing up. And his life as a father is a testament that God can use it. God can use it. Yes, give it up for him because he deserves it. And if you're that dad in this place today and you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm scared out of my mind. Babe, can you raise your hand? Just like wave big over here. Would you please come meet with him after service today and let him pray with you? And kind of give you some of that dad anointing. But listen, church, God can use it. So here's the end of the story with Mephibosheth. We know that God sees us in every season, no matter how long that season may be. And that God can use what is, whatever is happening in that season, God can use it to redeem us. He can use it. So let's go to 2 Samuel 9, 6 through 7. It says, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Let's be real. Mephibosheth is showing up and he's scared out of his mind because he thinks that he's, he's, he's coming in fear and trembling. Like, please don't kill me. Like, you found me. Okay, I was in hiding for 20, 25 years. You finally found me. Please don't kill me. And David said, Mephibosheth, hey. It is not the greeting that he thinks he's going to receive. And he goes, uh, Mephibosheth goes, uh, at your service. <laughs> Can you just imagine? And David says, hey, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. 
and you will always eat at my table. Yeah. Y'all, I mean, what do you even say after that? That's just, it is what it is. This is the gospel message. This, I believe, is one of the most beautiful depictions of the gospel message. That a man who had nothing, his name literally means from shame. He's covered in shame. He's crippled. He's from nowhere. He's a nobody. But because of a covenant between King David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth is restored everything. We can learn from Mephibosheth that God will restore it. God will restore it, y'all. And I am so, yes, you can clap for that. Don't be shy with your claps. God will restore it. This is a beautiful parallel to who we are. That we are lost, we are broken, we have nothing. But because of the covenant between God and Jesus, we have been restored everything. And I just want to take a second to recognize that there might be somebody in this place, you're like, number one, what is a covenant? A covenant is an unbreakable promise. God will always keep his promises. And it is a promise that he has between himself and those who call on the name of Jesus that everything will be restored back to them. Scripture says that we will be seated with God in the heavenly places, that we will have a seat at his table, that we are sons and daughters of the most high king. And here's the thing about the blessings that we preach about. You are not blessed because you are entitled to it. You are not entitled to a single thing. You have not earned a single thing. You are blessed because of a covenant between God and Jesus and you are covered by Jesus. And if you are here today and you say, yo, I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that covenant, that promise. God has that for you today as the worship team comes up. God wants to restore everything that's been broken, everything that's been lost. Everything that in your life the enemy has tried to distort, he's distorted your view of love. He's distorted your view of what trust and faithfulness looks like in a relationship. He's distorted your view of self-worth that you constantly feel like you have to prove yourself. That's what the enemy will do, but God will restore it. He'll restore all of those things and more. So obviously I'm not in a coma anymore. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Won't he do it? Sometimes we don't know if he will, (laughs) but he did. Three days later, I woke up saying, I love you, Jesus, with my hands raised. My mama's still here, still making empty pantry soup. Y'all want some, I know you do. 
Y'all hungry now. But I remember when I came out of a coma, it was still a journey, y'all. And I had to meet with a lot of different physical therapists because um, I was still paralyzed. And they were like, hey, we believe that she's going to be able uh, to get some mobility back. We don't know if she'll ever walk again. Um, but we're going to get her in physical therapy and we're going to just work hard. And it was, you know, you wouldn't think that this motion would be a lot of work <laughs> until you've got nothing. <laughs> and just the smallest motion is like, why am I sweating right now? <laughs> but worked really hard and every day found out that there were things that I used to be able to do that I couldn't do anymore. I remember when I went to go tie my shoelaces for the first time and I was like, dang it, I know I used to know how to do this. <laughs> I was singing the ABCs and missed a couple letters. It's fine. I can sing them now. I'll prove it to you. I know now. My physical therapist, she said, I think we should, for your dexterity and fine motor skills, I think we should try plucking eyebrows today. I was like, I'm not ready for that. Like, I want to keep my eyeballs in their sockets, please. But there was one thing that my team of therapists were like, hey, you need, you need to do this. Uh, we want you to try and play guitar again. And so I grew up playing guitar, and my dad uh, is uh, he teaches guitar lessons and an amazing musician. I do not hold a candle to him. But I was one of those like hormonal teenagers in my room like writing songs that I believed the whole world would sing one day. Like, yes, this is gonna break records, you know? And, um, you know, just inspired by my own self. Just crazy. But they were like, you should play guitar and sing. It'll be good for your, for your vocal cords and because my voice from all the tubes and everything was, you know, pretty raspy. And, and it would be really good for you to play guitar because it's good for dexterity and it will be good for fine motor skills. No, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't want to find out that something so sacred to me has been taken away from me. So I'm just... And so after days of them trying to convince me, my dad and my therapist conspired behind my back. And he showed up with my guitar. Her name is Bella. And they're like, today's the day. And I fought them. And then I gave in. And I just kind of prayed prior to even placing my hands on the guitar, just between me and God, like, God, you've seen what I've been going through. Could you just let me have this one thing? I'm a crier, so just deal with it. And I just remember like it was yesterday. I put my hands on the guitar and strummed like I had not forgotten a single chord, a single note, a single word to the songs that I had written. It's something that seemed so small and insignificant. It was that moment that I knew that God saw me, that I was not forgotten. That if my legs never worked after that moment, I knew God was with me, that he saw me, I was not forgotten. 
and I'm here to testify that God has restored everything in my life. But I need you to hear this. I'm not special. I'm not God's favorite. We all are. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. You are not overlooked. And sometimes the hardest season in life is the 20 to 25 years where you feel like, I know that you have promises for me, but the space between now and then, what do I do? God is with you and he's gonna use whatever it is that the enemy tries to throw at you, not only for your good, but that scripture said, so that others would become believers. I am so blessed by what God has done in my family because not only did he do a work in my family, but people have come to know Jesus because of it. And I would go through it again just for that one thing just for that one thing that somebody in a piece of despair hanging on a cross feeling like it's their last moment it's now or never and God says today you will be with me today is the day of restoration today is your day church today is the day that you're going to lift up your hands and say I love you Jesus this is a new moment you're doing a new work today is the day church whatever it is that the enemy has tried to steal from you whatever it is that the enemy has tried to convince you of whatever distortions he's tried to create in your mind of who god is god's going to restore it today and you know why i know that he's going to do this because he's done it before he's going to do it again he's got a track record like nobody else if he did it before he will do it again